Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about the holiday horror movie that'll make you swear off babysitting forever. Better watch out. I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, my co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Well, to quote a great Michael Jordan meme, fuck them kids. (laughs) Indeed. Next up, my frequent collaborator, comics artist, and certified vampire aficionado, Emily Martin. Emily, how are you? I better watch out. I better watch out. I better watch out. Just wanted to. dogs and freak out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and our special guest tonight, the writer of Orcs in Space and Junior Braves of the Apocalypse. It's Michael Tanner. Michael, how are you? I am doing great. Thank you so much for having me on. Oh, my, um, my God. I'm happy to Thank be here. Thank you so much for joining it's us. It's so good to see you again. It's it's good to see everyone here. Yeah. Uh, normally, I'd see you guys at conventions, but um, I don't do those anymore. We don't really. It's our do mini those convention. Any- yeah, yeah. It's been convention. it's been a it's been a while. Uh, hopefully, we'll start getting out to some of those again this year. Um, in the meantime, we have scary movies like Better Watch Out, which uh, just to go over some of the basics, it is directed by Chris Peckover. It is written by Zach Kahn and Chris Peckover. It stars Olivia DeJong, Levi Miller, Ed Oxenbold, Virginia Madsen, and Patrick Warburton in uh, little cameo roles in there. And the IMDb summary here is just uh, sort of on a quiet suburban street, a babysitter must defend a 12-year-old boy from intruders only to discover it's far from a normal home invasion, which, boy... Uh, that's absolutely true. That last part, uh, before I, we jump I, into all the, the big stuff about it, would you guys say that this is uh, spooky as in not really scary, spooky as in a little scary, outright terrifying, or just existentially angering, <laughs> enraging? This movie, made, this movie made me so angry, it is terrifying in a way that is directly tied to how existentially disconcerting it is. Yeah, I'm gonna second that. that. Yeah, I'm gonna second that. Yeah, that's that's well said. I'm going to be really out of character for this podcast, and I'm actually going to try my best to respect the no spoilers section of this show before I start really getting into my feelings. Yeah, the, the one, yes. The bit that's a little bit spoiler that you need to know are the trigger warnings, because there is gaslighting. There is sexual assault in this movie. There is gore. There is violence. There are teens with drugs and alcohol. Um, it's... <laughs> It's not an easy watch. So uh, be be completely aware of that going in. Yeah. But saying much more than that, I think, would be it's... sort of a spoiler for, for what it is. <sighs> yeah. <laughs> well, be also be warned because on Amazon, it starts, the, the description starts off with this holiday farce. Mm, that's yeah. bold. That's a bold choice. Amazon. Yeah, it's a bold statement, holiday farce. I mean, there is there are farcical elements um if you're a fan of the doom generation but um but if you like three's company which is you know classic american farce you may really enjoy the twists and turns and better watch out right i know monty python it is not from this point everything else is spoilery if you don't want to hear it which i i do recommend you guys you watch this before listening to it if i'm not sure i'd recommend warnings if none of those trigger warnings set anything off for you 
hearing about it will, I think, affect your level of enjoyment for watching it the first time. Um, yeah, definitely. This is a movie you want to go in as cold as possible, like acknowledging like the trigger warnings and that kind of like, hey, this might this might squeak you out. You might want to stay away, but like, don't know the twist. Just don't don't know. Yeah, the, the twist. and this movie does really like hang out for a while. In and you know, I'm like, this is some Hallmark uh, holiday shit. This is weird. I don't know what to make of this at all for a while. And then spoilers happen, which are. Go watch the movie or we'll be here. Yeah, go okay, watch the now. movie. Because <laughs> the farce of this movie is I feel like the farce was on me as I kept waiting for a catharsis that would never come. Yeah. I, Again, I don't know. if someone enjoyed this movie, if someone loved this movie, I mean, no offense. There are elements of this movie, namely uh, Levi Miller's performance, which are excellent and very well done but as a whole y'all i did not enjoy this movie i was enjoying it up until i got to a certain point and i'm like oh i'm not enjoying this (laughs) i I will tell you i watched this for the first time about this time last year and it was one of those that we were watching just as like my wife was dozing off on the couch and i was like "Ah, it's another christmas horror movie let me give it a shot and there's there's a point in this movie where I was watching it and I was kind of bored and it was, it's a lot like um, malignant in this way where like I was watching it and I was like, I don't know, I might shut this off. And there's just a point where like, there's a, the twist hits and it's like, Oh shit, hold on. Like, and I just like sat up on the couch and engaged with, with what was going on because like from, while the elements of this that are scary are unfortunately realistic and reinforced, unfortunately often, it is not something you really see much on in a horror movie. Yeah. What kills this movie for me, and I will admit this may not be, this is not intellectual. I, there's an argument, though I think maybe Promising Young Woman would have pulled something off like this better since that was the original ending. This may be caveman, lizard brain, pure emotional reaction, but this movie gave me the most detestable villain one of the most hateable characters I've ever seen in a movie. And then he gets no fucking comeuppance. He gets what well, we, we don't get solid I comeuppance. do not need implied off-screen legal implication comeuppance. I needed this kid fucking impaled on something. Yeah, I did want to see his head explode just like it's like more. What's the opposite of discreet? Blatantly. <laughs> then, obscenely. Obscenely. Yeah, like. It's it's weird because I'm I'm with you there. Like I, I kinda wanna give the movie the benefit of the doubt, but there's definitely that line of close to too close to being what it is trying to make horrific, you know, it, or you know, like as a parody, it is too close to being sincere. You know, th- this is definitely a movie that I would have been happy to see a 12-year-old's head explode. I kind of agree, like. There is a point toward the end. I was angry and I was like, no, not, not into this movie. But then there's that, then there's that turn. And I am fine with the implied, um, this all blows up in his face. Um, and that the story isn't quite over yet. Like it's kind of sequel baby, but um, I saw it almost more as an homage to Halloween too, uh, where the, the story is going to continue to the hospital. That moment where she flips him the bird as she goes into the ambulance. I was like, that's my catharsis. That's my like, fuck you kid you know you know you're done 
Like you are, you are done for now. And that's yeah, where I, I felt like I'm okay with this ending. I'm okay with this ending. Up until that point, I was not. I was yeah. like, I think don't need this. I think what? what's interesting to me is the the way in which this movie exists in parallel to Home Alone, because it makes several references to Home Alone, and it's set outside of Chicago in a small suburb. It's about you know, uh, it's theoretically about a home invasion and you know this kid and his babysitter fighting off robbers, but. What this movie suggests is that the real monsters that we should really be afraid of are the Kevin McAllisters of the world, are the like bratty kids who never get in trouble and who run all over their parents and like who their parents think are angels and are really the ones like dealing drugs to their friends and like having really creepy, obsessive relationships with their babysitter. Yeah. Speaking of the parents real quick, Patrick Warburton has about three minutes of screen time in this movie and he shines in every oh second my. he's given. He's in a different Patrick movie, is which best. is always fascinating when actors make that choice. He is playing yeah. a broad comedy where he's a goofy dad uh, and it's great because he's got it's those incredible. three minutes. You're like, oh, he's Patrick introduced Warburton. just doing intense Patrick Warburton stares at a Christmas tree. He's got backup Christmas ties ready to go. Man, I want to follow whatever night like Patrick Warburton had. And yeah, he and Virginia Madsen are in a completely different movie. Yep. And that's what makes the beginning of this work, I feel like, is that they are straight up playing holiday family comedy with like a little bit of an edge because like he is a little too weird and she's just mean to him. Like she just makes several like gay jokes about him in the like five minutes before yeah. Uh, yeah. everything starts. Oh yeah, off. homophobia a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, straight up homophobia. Yeah, although his line about being meteorosexual or whatever. Um, metrosexual. 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 In a metrosexual. Commi- in a committed relationship with the city of Philadelphia. i'm joking i'm joking of course it's philadelphia she's cheating on me left and right (laughs) yeah um so let's talk a little bit about the plot i mean we we kind of jumped to the ending there are a couple things i do want to touch on as we jump into this so we meet our main character ashley who's getting ready to leave for college like the next day she's in her small you know chicago suburb um she's getting ready to leave behind along with her boyfriend who we won't meet till much later and she's got one last one last babysitting gig, like a cop on his, his last beat before she leaves. And it's for the learner's 12-year-old son, Luke, who is played by I, Levi Miller. Um, I do love all these Australian actors in Sydney doing their best to make this into a Chicago suburb from a John Hughes film. And you yeah. will you will at some point be squigged out by this because you'll feel like something is just a little bit off. And that is because, and the director has talked about this, uh, when everything is installed, all of the uh, door handles are installed at the standard height for Sydney, which is like four foot six or four foot seven. So all of the door handles are weirdly high. Way too high. Yeah. bizarre. Yeah. So every my wife was watching this with me and she was like, what the fuck is with that door handle? Like, why is it at like his <laughs> shoulder level? And I was, we started looking it up and it was like, oh yeah, it was the first day of shooting was like, them on the couch watching that scary movie and you can see the door behind them and like they had just installed the door and it had those crazy high like handles and like the day after that he realized it happened and is like well if we do something about it now we're gonna have to scrap a whole day of shooting and we don't have the budget for that yeah (laughs) they just went with it 
See, I, I, now that you say that, I'm like, oh yeah, because I just thought I was dissociating. Tell me this Australian child was not just doing McLovin from Superbad. <laughs> I'm sure. He kind of is. Uh, Ed Oxenbold, who plays Garrett, is, is introduced right here at the beginning with Luke. Like, Garrett is wearing these uh, pot leaf uh, socks and is, is talking about getting high and is going through his friend's mom's medicine cabinet. He's a grade A fuck up. And is absolutely the kind of kid that like parents like this are like, you shouldn't hang out with so-and-so. He's a bad influence on you. Which, As we find out, it's really the other way around. Mm-hmm. I thought they these kids were 14 and there's something so much worse about them being 12 instead well, that- of 14. Even just those two years makes it so much worse to me. Yeah, that puts them squarely in middle school. Levi Miller looks 12. Mm-hmm. He does a really great job of looking 12. And I also know, like I can tell that he's hitting the pitch in order to make his voice crack which is masterful you know and fantastic actor yeah and it's it's really funny because for the first part of the movie he like was being so campy and i'm thinking like what the fuck what is this movie like why are you and then i realized it was all an act and i was like oh dang those are some levels but and he looks like he's a baby and they really capitalize on that baby this is the most hateable child since joffrey on game of thrones it's from scene one because he and Garrett are introduced having this conversation about this is his last chance. He has this plan to make Ashley fall in love with him before she goes off to college and he's going to do it tonight. We meet Luke's parents, uh, who, as, as we discussed, are played by Virginia Madsen and uh, Patrick Warburton. Uh, delightfully horrible, bad parents, but, you know, uh, they think they've got everything under control and they're shitty to each other throughout the first scene. They're so uh, shitty and yet they're shitty to each other chemistry is so great and i know they're in a totally different movie but man do i want way more of that movie (laughs) (laughs) yeah they're the worst and i do love that you know the the first liquor that is presented is champagne and i'm like you know he watches his mom drunk drink white wine all day all night of course he's gonna be like oh yeah i'm gonna you know this is like the juice this is but, what adults drink. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Anyway, there's what a twist. Yeah, we, we get a little bit at the beginning of like, uh, there's this sort of setup of Luke has been sleepwalking. So they do this thing where they balance a pencil on his doorknob so they can tell if he's been out during the night, which will be obviously pertinent later. No sooner do the parents leave than Luke starts making a series of like clumsy advances on Ashley, including drinking cam- uh, champagne to show he's mature. He's choosing a scary movie as an excuse to snuggle up with her and badmouthing her boyfriend, Ricky, and her ex, her stalkery ex, Jeremy. And this culminates in her in him trying to make a move on her and, and kiss her, which like I thought this was as uncomfortable as this movie was going to go. Oh, yeah, it was very uncomfortable. <laughs> well, this, Throughout was, this whole thing, I'm just like, oh, no, <laughs> it's so uncomfortable, especially just from the standpoint of ostensibly this is the movie's protagonist or co-protagonist mm. at that point. And it just has this whole sense of like, movie, do you know how fucked up this all is? And then movie goes like, yeah. And then my feeling is movie goes like, yeah, we know how fucked up this is. And then it's like, we know, we know what we're doing. And then by the end, I'm like, do you? Because by the end, you're fucking acting like he's Danny Ocean who's pulling off his heist. And I didn't want to see that from him. This is not a heist movie movie. It's like, complicated. <laughs> like that, the, like, especially at the very end. And I know I'm saving a head again. The movie just goes too far to put you in his perspective. Like when the candy cane 
almost falls and then he catches it and the movie's like oh he almost got caught but he didn't because he's like aren't you glad like it wasn't that exciting i'm like no i fucking wanted it to fall i want this motherfucker caught i i think that's the thing is i think throughout especially this last chunk of the movie you're supposed to be like how is he gonna get caught this is the part where he screws this one Mm -hmm. thing up and and the movie keeps playing with that and going ah you're gonna you're gonna get what you want and then it's like no actually not his little evil ferris bueller at the end with that kind of like him setting everything up him going through the window and the pencil like that's all like they could have just put the like bow wow yeah yeah it really that could have been playing over it i think and i think that's i think that's actually pretty good because yeah we do hate him but them trying to do it in that style of an 80s like kid getting away with it movie like it's it, no, it's very I, pulling to the audience. Like, no, we don't want him to get away with it. I, yeah. I would really like this sequence in a movie that was 10 minutes longer. And in those 10 minutes, he then just gets pulverized with a baseball bat a bunch of times afterwards. <laughs> Pretty much all of my criticisms of this movie boil down to there was no graphic violence against a child. And that makes me upset. <laughs> so interesting to me that I think this movie is in conversation with all those 80s and early 90s movies where yeah. there's a kid that does horrible shit or does at very least like some problematic shit to at least toward his friends and you're supposed to like root for those kids to get, get away with it throughout you know the 80s and 90s stuff and this movie says look those kids are the real villains like those kids are the guys who you know pull off this kind of shit and ruin people's lives and just get away with it suburban white kids are like they're the real villains <laughs> And that kind of plays into like the recent Home Alone like reboot remake is that movie's apparently awful because the protagonist kid is an awful kid. Yeah. Um, and he's not likable and you hate him and he's yeah. torturing just hard luck people. It, they're not yeah, like hear- criminals robbing a house. They're literally like people who are justified in thinking this kid stole something of theirs and want it back. So it's like and also awful they need, kid. They need to get it back it. in order to save their own house. Yes. Yeah. That's yeah, that's really interesting because I I also was thinking about the last movie that we talked about, which was Gremlins, and how that movie had really, really confusing messaging about the cartoon violence. And you know, in this movie, in the and that was in the con- context of these movies, these Home Alones and and Goonies and stuff, where you have these kids doing this crazy shit, you know, and you're rooting for them. You know, I think that there's something to be said about the, you know, this kid sees himself as this this protagonist and that kind of gets into the the psychopathy of this, of what makes these kids just so awful. <laughs> and they, they brilliantly see this conversation between the two boys about Home Alone and whether like the villains of Home Alone getting hit in the head with paint cans would kill them or whether it would just knock them back like they do in the, the movie. And like, that's a fully a thing I was not expecting a payoff on in this movie. And it is absolutely a thing that this movie pays off. Oh yeah. Like it's, that is such a well-done element. Like the movie's home alone influence. And like you said, that being in conversation with those eighties, nineties, shitty kid, but we root for him to get away with things. And I don't mind them just straight up calling out home alone. Uh, a, because I'm a little dense, and B, and sometimes I need things spelled out for me. And also, again, like I said, it perfectly tees up the paint can death, which, again, honestly, fucking 10 out of 10 spectacular horror movie death. 
yeah like creative well executed on the awesome kind of funny death. like it, that death like, and that's and that's gory, the best kind of horror disturbing death, right? yeah a little yeah. funny that that death's hitting like again 10 out of 10 that's hitting every level of a good horror death yeah and, and I, a I really well is... shot horror death yeah right? the paint, like the, the mixture the paint spray, of the paint like, and the blood yeah. it's like and it's how the paint spray red. is like divided uh-huh. from his head yeah this movie <laughs> has several deaths in it and like it does a really good job of pulling away from most of them and like you getting the the shock some of the gore of it without it being like watch it yeah <laughs> look at this it, thing i know that it's not how shotguns work in real life but the suddenness and some good sound editing that really gave it some weight and just the force of garrett being flung across a room, like flying like eight feet from the shotgun blast yeah wow <laughs> I think oh, that's chef's kiss. Yeah, that's a good that's a good violent comedy move is the just abrupt being thrown out of screen. I mean, this is the point where we're getting the first hints of the horror movie that's starting to develop behind them and around them as they're not paying attention because there's a really good shot of like them watching TV where there is a shadow outside the window that you may not even notice until it moves. And then it's like, oh shit, and they don't yeah. see it. There's the there's this repeating gag with the Santa Claus popping up places that like he's just suddenly light up Santa Claus Mm. is is really nice. But then we get to the point where we notice that these you know doors have been left open. There's this pounding of the door, and Ashley calls for her cell phone, and Luke accidentally throws it in the fish tank. You know, Luke then decides to show how tough he is by facing the person at the door, who turns out to be Garrett playing some kind of prank on them. But he doesn't know about all this stuff outside in the back. What is that? I wasn't back there. I was just knocking at the, the front door. And then they hear the the glass break upstairs, which I, I thought like this is a pretty good setup for like the mm-hmm. beginning of a horror movie. You get the fake out, and then you get the fake out to the fake out. Now yeah, I wonder who mic. broke that window. Upstairs. It was a catapult. Oh, yeah, we see okay, it later okay. when they run yeah. around. When Jeremy is walking around the outside, he trips on a catapult. Um, ah, yeah. okay. Outside. okay. So um, there's all this like tripwire shit. So there's like there's this Home Alone aspect where you have all of these like you know Goonies ass booby traps everywhere. I mean, you have uh, you have movies like Promising Young Woman. You have movies like Hard Candy, which you know you're like, okay, I'm gonna strap in, and oh man, just the the whole time you're just being blasted by like the intensity of it. You know, Promising Woman has has a of course some comedy to to cut that and this movie like it really sets things up with great fake out strategies where you really are asking these questions like the same rate as the movie is is setting you up to so like by the time that they're in the attic and also the the horror movie that they're watching is describing everything that is happening which i think is is a cool little feature they find the brick and the brick says uh you leave you die and Garrett pulls the classic horror movie move of being the squiggy best friend who's like, oh, shit, I'm going to take off. This thing says I'm going to die. So let me do the thing they tell me is going to make me die. Takes off running through the yard and we hear and see him get shot and we see his body fall in the middle of the yard. They hide and sneak back upstairs, uh, you know, Luke and Ashley, and they, they go and hide in the attic. They see this guy with, you know, this coat and mask and shotgun going through the house and somehow that. he he's like a master spider wrangler 
mm-hmm. because he has this pet spider that keeps getting on Ashley and making her freak out like she is in a horror movie where she's like, oh, ah! you know, There's like two different spiders. There's the one at the beginning, which is seems to just be a normal spider, which I guess is only a normal spider if you fucking live in Australia. <laughs> right? I was like, and then, <laughs> where yeah, in the, the in Chicago are we getting like these giant ass camels? Oh, but then, OK. But then upstairs, we get the direct reference to Home Alone, which is you get the pet tarantula that, you know, crawls onto her. And he has to scoop up off of her. Yeah. And they, you know, they go and hide in the closet and the the guy in the mask comes in as sort of sweeping the room and Ashley looks out and notices that it's Luke's mask that he's wearing. Like he starts scratching his back, which we've seen Garrett doing throughout. And she just like calls him out and she jumps out and it's like, fucking Garrett, is that you? What the fuck are you doing? Like, get the fuck out of here. She actually has justifiably pissed at this point. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. We... Importantly, we get Garrett is going around with a shotgun and as part of their escape from Garrett, uh, Luke grabs the gun from his parents safe. Yeah. And what I appreciate about this is from all the way through, but especially from this point forward, this movie's forward movement never depends on Ashley being stupid. Like Mm -hmm. Ashley makes all the right moves and they still don't work out for her. Because like at this point, she's like, Fuck it. I'm calling your parents. I'm getting the fuck out of here. And like she, you know, she storms toward the bat to the stairs. Uh, You know, Luke is calling her name. He turns, she turns around and just says, what? And he smacks her across the face with the butt of the gun and she falls down the stairs. And when she wakes up, she's tied to a chair, which is where this movie takes a big fucking turn. Yeah. Yeah, Did anyone else think that Ashley was dead right from then on? Yeah. A few times. At that point, yeah. Like, oh, Ashley is dead now. Like, I definitely thought, well, I'm like, oh, okay, she's dead. And now we're following, like, they pulled the psycho and now we're following, like, Darcy Montgomery for the rest of the movie. And he's going to be, like, our shitbag fuckboy protagonist hero. <laughs> yeah, well, I was either thinking that or it was going to go in a direction where there's, like, actually another person, like, another killer there. So it's, like, for real. And now they have mm-hmm. to figure it out. And then she, like, shows up at the end and saves it or whatever. But no, 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 no. Um, this, yeah, this is not the, the turn I was expecting in this movie. And I was still kind of trying to keep up with how this film was show, like the, just with the messaging of this film. Cause I'm like, dude looks 12. He acts 12 and he is terrifying. And, you know, again, you're, you are conflicted. I mean, depending on how you feel about children, but <laughs> you are conflicted about like uh, a lot less good after watching this fucking well, movie. Yeah. He is without a question, a sociopath. Like yeah. he is. He has no feelings for other people. He doesn't see other people as as people. In fact, pretty much the central tenet of this movie is that he sees Ashley as property that should belong to him. Yeah. Um, You know, he is visibly upset about her various boyfriends. Uh, Immediately after she wakes up, they start doing this game of uh, truth or dare. And Garrett dares him to touch her boob. uh, And he does. Um, And it's a discretion shot. That but is, it, oh, it's a discussion shot, but it's the hardest thing to watch because, like, it just focuses on Ashley's face the whole time. And yeah, it's terrible. I, again, it's like this kid is so detestable and loathsome, and other big words for just how much I <laughs> fucking want this kid's head bunted into concrete. Ashley wakes up in the chair and she's tied to the chair and she's duct taped. And they also show that she can t- speak through the duct tape. It's not the same kind of paralyzing duct tape that you see in other horror films. Mm-hmm. You know, things are just about as as effective 
as they would be if a kid did it. And she's trying to figure out the situation. Meanwhile, Garrett is totally high and he's like running around the house on a on a razor scooter and they're playing Fuck Mary Kill about characters from Adventure Time. And so, you know, There's you have graphic these graphic discussion of Princess Bubblegum is that it's like yeah. some real some real mall rats little shit. Mm-hmm. Um yeah. these two really hits- disgusting children talking about queer characters like Marsley and Bubblegum felt so gross to me. But it's to hit home that in the realm of the movie, they're still kids. Yeah. Like it's to hit home that they are 12 years old. It's like haha, touch your boob. Aha, adventure time. It's like the horror is still like that these kids are behaving this way, but they're still kids, which eventually we escalate for Luke past that. And that's yeah. like the, the, the way the movie handles its twist. Cause you could kind of, you'd argue the first twist is the reveal that it's Garrett, not that they've actually been, there's actually been a home invasion. Then like a few yeah. minutes later, the second twist is like, Oh, Luke just knocks Ashley out. And that's like a hard We're now in the second act. Uh, and then we get, another twist like with not well not quite a twist you get like an escalation with oh he is not effing around anymore. yeah this, this several you, you do not treat him as a child anymore he is several a full escalations game. that but like no. turn out to be like retroactively more horrible than you thought um <laughs> we we learned like garrett is pretty clearly still here because he's high and luke is his only friend luke has given him drugs he's on oxy and he's just skating around and like that's the only way he's dealing with any of this and justifying his his involvement in this, um, which will eventually wear off. Luke so clearly sees like Garrett as like a possession of his, like, yeah, something to be manipulated and used and thrown away the moment. Like, and you can see Luke getting more like just any signs of Garrett get showing personhood, just like annoys Luke until like. He just becomes another, like, a toy to be thrown away. Like, when Luke goes from just, like, screaming at him after Luke has killed him to he was getting annoying anyway, like, yeah. chills. That, yeah, that was a fantastic acting moment. So, fan- like, I noted that down because it was, that, he was killing it. Like, yeah. this is not I mean, a person who killed his yes. best friend. This is someone who smashed his favorite toy. Yeah, I mean, and the, he he so automatically switches, and it's, I mean, it's really well done. It's it's well executed in terms of mm-hmm. no pun intended, but um, it's it, he's it's really well done the way that he transfers from he's a, a screaming child to okay, it's not that important to me anyway. You know this this petulance that that can go both ways. In the beginning of the movie, you feel like Garrett, at first, Garrett is sort of the dominant one in the friendship, you know what I mean? Like, he's he's sort of teasing Luke about his, like, heartbeat noise machine and, you know, just being kind of outrageous to Luke. And Luke is like, oh, shut up, ooh-ooh. And then, you know, we realize that, that um, Luke is the mastermind behind all this, which also is effective because Garrett the actor that plays Garrett looks significantly older. He's a little bit more mature in the face. So it's, you know, he could, he could play any sort of teen easily, but you know, in this case, Levi as an actor has this just baby face that you're like, you're ready to believe that like, he's, he's just a misguided youth um, in the beginning of it. And as things escalate, it becomes very clear that like, there's, there is nothing behind those eyes. Like he's, got you know 
Like it, it's just all mechanics to him. Like none of it is real people. It's yeah. just a plan. But there there's is kind of, bit, go, go ahead. I was going to say, there's a little bit of um, class issues with Garrett and Luke. Yeah. Like Garrett very clearly comes from a poor background mm-hmm. and Luke yeah. is squarely upper middle class, at least. Mm-hmm. Uh, Garrett's clothes don't fit as well. They're rougher. Like he's I not mean, as put together. Luke is a rich kid. Garrett is a plays pill addicted 12 year old. Regardless of how this night played out, it, it wasn't a good path. Yeah, yeah. For, for all the references to Home Alone, like he very much, Luke very much does live in the same kind of house as Kevin McAllister lives in in Home Alone. It's in the Chicago suburbs and it's very fucking nice. Oh my um, God. Maybe not as nice as Kevin McAllister's, which when you look at it now is like weirdly nice for, you know, like outskirts of Chicago. Uh, Again, but, what does his dad do that he's taking nine people to fucking Paris for Christmas? Yeah, yeah right? I don't know, man. So, yeah, this funds, is the point man. where hedge funds. <laughs> <laughs> this is the point where Ashley's boyfriend Ricky arrives. Which talk about class issues? Uh, he just like Luke calls him Grease Monkey throughout this. Ricky, he's trying to shoot Ricky away because he doesn't want Ricky to come in and see all this stuff. But Ricky shows him that he has flowers he wants to give to Ashley. Just just open the door and he'll hand him through. And of course, Ricky uses this to sort of shove in uh, to see Ashley. He's a very possessive, shitty boyfriend. But yeah, maybe he's not, not a shitty good. person. It's not <laughs> great. The problem is, it's like we the movie gets split between like two shitty boyfriends, like one of whom gets more screen time and isn't particularly interesting, and the other is Darcy is uh, Darcy Montgomery, which means he is a delightfully over the top shithead, and he is wasted in this movie. Again, all is lost, and he shows up. I was fully geared to like, yes, like this is the next reversal where their shitty boyfriend ends up becoming the hero. Like Darcy Montgomery, fuck boy hero, let's go. (laughs) And then he just dies for like five minutes later. I'm like, oh, no. He had to go film Power Rangers. He didn't have a lot of Right? He got to push it to the limit. (laughs) You know, I, I think the gender dynamics in this movie are fascinating not just between Luke and Ashley, but between Ashley and her, you know, boyfriend and ex-boyfriend. Because there's a point where, like, Ricky, like, gives this, like, impassioned, I might die here, and you should go out and, like, have a good life speech to her. And oh, she yeah. gives him this look like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Like, what, what the fuck are we doing right now? now this, this scene where Ricky enters is one of my favorite, has one of my favorite, like, tv like very meta gags which is like he is pushing his way through the house trying to find ashley where sure the things are going to come down and uh luke sneaks up behind him and hits him over the head with a bat and starts doing a dance like he's fucking michael madsen in reservoir dogs it's the clockwork <laughs> orange dance he's that is that's right oh my god uh, yeah, I, was that like, was I know that on the nose for me but i'm like oh, yeah all right but I'm you sure know that this kid luke would do it because i'm sure he saw clockwork you know 10 is years it old yeah what what i love about this scene is we get him clocking him and doing this dance and that doesn't knock the man unconscious because that's not the way fucking real people work is like the first time you hit him with a bat they just fall unconscious every time so like this clearly larger than him guy ricky you know tackles him and they're like fighting in the hallway we see that luke does know that this uh pencil that's supposed to be balanced on his checkups pencil is, Mm -hmm. is under the mat and this is the goriest scene in the movie 
because he stabs Ricky directly in the cheek with that thing. And like we get yeah. the pencil hanging out of it. And uh, it's that that wound is rough. Um, that is my personal like horror trigger. I can't handle things poking out of the human body. Uh, bones, pencils, knives, like things poking out of a human body. Can't I'm like that squicks me out so much. I, I thought he, when I saw it the first time, I thought, oh, no, he's going to get him in the eye. Like, because eye trauma is mine. Like, yeah, yeah. there's eye trauma in a movie. It's like, oh, no, God. Oh, God. But yeah, he, he gets him right in the cheek. And uh, fucking Garrett comes to the rescue with uh, with the gun holding it on Ricky to get him to stop beating up Luke. And Luke takes another shot at him with the bat. And this time does manage to knock him out. And Ricky is now tied up along with Ashley. Uh, on another chair downstairs and they're tied up in a very amateur way ashley's been able to almost escape a bunch of times she's looking for opportunities to escape you know she's treating these kids like kids and she doubles down on that through the film that her her perspective is so well displayed in the way that the film is depicting ashley because we we have all the same questions we have all the same reactions what is this kid doing like you're almost just like like what's his plan? What's his yeah. end game? Yeah, like you're you're it's still really hard to take him seriously because he's playing he's acting like a fucking cartoon character, you know, in yeah. in so he's much like it's, trying to talk him down. Yeah. That, that ultimately you know is, is part of her undoing, I think. Because she's not she's not like, okay, calm down. You know, it's none of this like, okay, calm down. She's just like, oh, what are, what are you doing? Like she's completely incredulous. To, you know, and even when Ricky comes in and he's like, babe, I think it's really wonderful what you're trying to do. <laughs> And I respect you. And I think you need to just run away. Just leave me here. You know, and that's that's Ricky's understanding. Like, because he's also not quite in touch with reality because of his masculinity. During this week, Luke continues to torment both Ricky and Ashley now. Um, we find out that Luke is actually the one who called Ricky to come over. That uh, he didn't actually brick uh, Ashley's phone. He used it to, you know, call Ricky. He wanted him to show up all along. Like, again, I don't like how this movie wants us, seems to want us to vicariously enjoy Luke's masterminding things because I, I don't. I always, I kept thinking that we were supposed to be the Garrett in this scenario of like, oh no. Yeah. Oh no, it's worse than I thought. Yeah. Oh shit, I'm stuck here now. Um, yeah, no, the, the horror of this movie really comes from that escalation. You know, otherwise it's just like a confusing film. Yeah, because shortly <laughs> you know? after this, he, he decides to call Jeremy and is trying to trying to convince Ashley to invite Jeremy over and ends up doing it himself with, you know, using Ashley's name. Jeremy, the first the first phone call with Jeremy is hilarious. Because he says he's calling for Ashley, and Jeremy says there's no Ashley here, and hangs up. Amazing, <laughs> it's incredible. Like, All right, we know who we're dealing Fucking with now. Perfect. I, I love mean, that Luke's reaction is also like, "What? How fucking dumb is this guy? Come on!" I can't Again, blame him though. That is the, the fuck, he... <laughs> that is the fuck boy hero I needed in this movie. I, I mean, I he would have been a great like like foil fuckboy hero you know what i mean like he would have shown up and been like dun da 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 he he would have been a distraction and then that's what would have enabled ashley to fully like beat this child to death without any knowledge that he was even saving anybody yeah yeah (laughs) i'm actually surprised that didn't happen like it it seems like it could have easily gone that way with yeah so garrett garrett deals with this in the only reasonable way which is he goes to smoke some weed uh, at which point Luke Fucking smells this mood, mood, <laughs> right, <laughs> and, right. 
and freaks out. He gets Ricky to smoke some of the joint, and they have a horrible scene of the two of them like mate watching the smoke come out of Ricky's hole in his cheek. Whole thing is just awful. Um, I mean, liked it. I mean, hated it in a oh god no. Very much liked it in a horror movie enjoyer's sense. Oh yeah, no, it was a very like Tim Burton Beetlejuice kind of situation. I feel like I need to separate like hate. I hate the like this movie was bad versus like this is a thing that was disturbing in a horror movie. The reaction it's supposed to be doing. Yeah. Yeah, and, and according to according to Luke, this means that he now needs to frame Ricky for smoking the pot, and also they need to get rid of Ricky. Uh, and this is when we get the real heavy Home Alone reference, which is he ties he drags Ricky's chair into the other room and sets him up underneath, has Garrett blindfold him uh, while he uh, executes the uh, paint can drop from Home Alone on him during all of this. Uh, Ashley is getting untied. She manages to get herself loose. And uh, just before Luke can drop the paint can, uh, she holds the gun on him. Uh, but of course, the gun isn't loaded, and nobody has checked that. As, as Luke says, good parents store the ammunition separately. Um, and then he drops the paint can anyway. And this, as you said earlier, is one of the best shots in the movie. Like yeah. it swings in and like we don't see it impact Ricky said but we feel it and yeah. like, we see the the yellow paint and the red blood together the yellow paint is such an inspired choice and we see poor fucking Garrett get splattered by this paint um and later on later on there's a line where Luke is like we gotta get you cleaned up you look like a fucking hot dog uh, <laughs> like yeah because it's yeah, very so, ketchup and so mustard dark. Yeah. <laughs> yes so dark. this sort of this drip that looks exactly like ketchup and mustard coming from this guy and it's ugh. um but this scene is there's there's a there's some nuance to this build up because ricky actually does something pretty ingenious which is he wets himself mm-hmm. in order to freak out the kid and it's 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 another one of those interesting like reminders that this is just a little kid because he's so grossed out he's he has throws connection fit about the marijuana and he gets really grossed out by the pee, but he's ready to like torture and assault these people and essentially and, and kill them. Well, and there are so, only a couple of places in this movie where somebody does something that actually gets to him. Yeah. Actually, like doesn't go the way that his little plan that he's devised in his mind is going. And the moment that that happens, he freaks out. Yeah. And this is one of them. Um, you know, yeah. the, there's also where, you know, it doesn't actually knock Ricky out when he hits him with the baseball bat. And uh, then, you know, some of some of the stuff that happens later in this that we'll talk about shortly. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's this scene is is rough and good. Uh, and also, you know, Ashley tries to shoot him, doesn't have like there's no bullets. So she makes a run for it, gets out into the yard. This is where, like, we find some of the like stuff that's been set up in the yard. She trips over the trip line and gets shot and realizes that it's just a paintball. And that, like she's triggered the same mechanism that, you know, uh, Garrett triggered earlier that made it look like he got shot and it sort of explains this on the run um, you know she dodges around the catapult and you know runs runs to go try to get rescued by the carolers while Garrett is chasing her she gets over the fence and uh, then she gets pelted by the brick as uh, you know to the head and falls unconscious just before she can get to help and wakes up now tied by uh, Christmas lights to the lawn chair so in the living room so for the record, yeah. Chekhov's gun does not get fired. 
Chekhov's brick, very much in play. Yeah, Chekhov's pencil does exactly what you think it would. Yeah, they, so, they set up a lot of fucking dominoes in this movie. And, and yeah. however you feel about the movie's eventualities, and I guess this is true of Home Alone as well, uh, like everything gets paid off. Yeah. I also like the fact that she, like, she was trying to, to free herself by using a little bit of broken glass. She was bleeding because of it. And she took off her sock to wipe up the blood. And then she would put her hand, like her hand was completely free, but she would just put her hand back on the chair. And this kid didn't notice. Like he didn't notice that he didn't notice the foot. And so it's, it, it is this very, very delicate balance of this, the engineering of this kid's psychopathic plan. And then him just being a little kid, you know, and, and yeah. both things are so present. It's not one or the other. It's both. And I think that's what is really, really confusing and enraging about the movie, especially the way that it ends, because like, you know, we still, we recognize that he is fully capable of this violence the assault, the, all this kind of stuff. But again, he's still a little kid and being confronted with that, I think is something that is really difficult to do in a fun movie. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, we, we get that with Garrett in this scene as well, because like she jumps over the fence and Garrett tries to jump up after her and just face plants, like trying to get up the fence. (laughs) That's good. That was an excellent, an excellent moment. And she had the chair. She still like she managed to get cut herself free mostly, but she still had the chair. So she had yeah. one arm on the chair and one hand with the gun, and then like the chair just fell apart on her. It was some really good choices. Maybe it's less confusing now that Amazon used the word farce, <laughs> but it's still not the the mood I would invoke for this film. No. Not at this point, like it's yeah. not a black. It's not a black comedy. It's just dark and fucked up yeah yeah there's certainly yeah. funny stuff that happens in it but i would not categorize it as a comedy no. especially like at this point because we get we get garrett in full you know coming down from his high remorseful mode like he's seen a man get killed in front of him and knows that he's party to it and he's at this point that like all right if i don't go along with him he might kill me but if I do go along with him, I might be responsible for even more murder. It's a rough spot for him to be in. And I think like as, as an actor, he really carries that well. So rough place to be in before you've even had your bar mitzvah. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, now, is this the part where we get the transition of, of Luke outside listening to the carolers and smiling? Yes. Well, yeah, he like gives uh, some that cocoa. Is such a great, great transition. Oh, that's because yeah. that's, that's another escalation here. Like, yeah. now he, it's hard to see him as a kid anymore because he is like full evil. And yeah, like, that that smile, that shitty so smile, looking at the calculated and manipulative. Yeah. It's oh my god, this fucking kid. Again, Levi Miller does a great job, but oh fuck this kid. Yeah, and then he comes in and does the like is talking to her who is gagged and tied up on this chair and is like, Oh, they have a couple of new additions since last year. You know, Uh, it's the the delivery. This, ah, Levi Miller is so, he's so fucking chilling in this movie. And you know, Um, he put those Christmas lights on her just to be aesthetic. mm Mm-hmm. You know, it was just to make it more fucked up. He's a little extra. Yeah. Of course. Character Jeremy finally shows up. Um, (laughs) He managed to do a lot before Jeremy shows up, but I mean, we see Jeremy's Jeremy very drunk. Arrive, uh, listening, listening to uh, rap music. He is wearing a hat that just has dollar signs all over it. Um, he is he is pimping to the extreme. I feel he's like he's that is. meme, right? That like guy 
with He's like douchebag ha- Dan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh my god. I th- that must have been deliberate because that was, that was the exact same outfit. Again. Yeah. I I really did think that was what the movie was saying. It's like okay, you've given us the innocent seeming boy who was like who's the total villain. Now give us like the fuck boy douchebag hero who saves the day or at least like helps out or <laughs> doesn't just die in five minutes. And Jeremy is introduced and you know, he's not depicted as being like the, the brightest bulb in the store, but um, I gotta say I'm your brighter bulb, Jeremy. Jeremy. Is, yeah. I, there's a lot of Jeremy's a lot of Emily's you're the fuck boy protagonist of my heart, Jeremy. Oh, and I'm man. just a bitch named Emily. Um, bless <laughs> the fuck boy protagonist of my heart too. Oh, I I love that. Thank you, thank you. If, that means a lot to me. But anyway, <laughs> the um when we first see Jeremy, he is in a moment of vulnerability. He is talking himself up to talk to his ex girlfriend, which makes him kind of lovable. It's a little sweet. Yeah, even though he looks, he's like douchebag Dan to the max. Um, he's still like, yeah, we're cool. Yeah, we're cool. Yeah, I could do this. Yeah, you know. And I mean, the fact that he's drinking behind the wheel, not great, but you know. Yeah, and he's wearing. He walks around the house, knocking on doors, not getting any kind of answer, uh, until finally, as he's banging on this door, he is greeted by uh, creepy Luke, who is standing in the yard waiting for him. And is like, here, I have this like notepad for you. Uh, you know, she, she actually is here, but she wants you to uh, write down, you know, how you feel about, you know, your your previous relationship. And she said you would know. And Jeremy is having none of this. And finally, he's like, well, look, you're not going to see her unless you like write something down. And Jeremy immediately writes, I'm sorry. And hands it back to him, and uh, he's like, "Really? That's it? Like, that's that's what you want me to give her? That's all you have to say?" And at this point, he Jeremy grabs the pad and says, "She wants fucking Shakespeare. She'll get Shakespeare," and starts writing some shit down. Which later on we see that it says like something to the effect of, "I'm so sorry, girl. I never meant to hurt you. Uh, you know, <laughs> sorry for everything, uh, Jeremy." <laughs> upon this night yeah oh, in the the early the verily uh and as, anyway. and as he is doing that, so it, uh oh man it, up and, it's some sorry. real shakespeare so be like yeah. sorry for giving you up for laying you down sorry for running around and deserting you <laughs> <laughs> amen um and he gets it he gets the the um uh, that, was it how did luke rig the 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 nukes? like it's on like a yeah it's like a like a, a snowblower tractor or something yeah, yeah he that's like the most extra shit ever too because he like got the noose around him and then he like got the, the snow plow that they have in their garage like they do on their estate and um yeah, the suburbs it fits it tracks yeah this is yeah. one of those larger parcels that but, um, character definitely has that yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he might as well just be in like, hey, you know, <laughs> on the on the tractor, which I'm like, dude, just use a, a, a lever or something like use just like a branch well, and hold it. Really trying to reinforce the 
he's not he's a kid he's not strong enough to like actually lift this guy up by a noose on his own yeah but i mean like he could still use i mean he managed to paint a brick you know he could use physics instead of pulling out a whole snowplow and you know but again i think what the problem is with this sociopath child is that he watched too many horror movies without context context is important not enough procedurals he didn't listen to enough podcasts so he and that's he, a wrap on jeremy all right um so he's jeremy from the tree jeremy's note falls what we now realize is uh, meant to appear to be a suicide note i was um, hoping so much it would be a fake out or he'd get out of it somehow and no he just died like a fucking asshole you're a big fan of this jeremy guy <laughs> i i'm a big fan of darcy montgomery and i just think it would have been a really fun take on his Again, on Billy from Stranger Things. I need it. He just seems like someone. He just seems like the character where it's like, okay, you're going to deliver. Are you going to be the one to fucking give Luke the beat down he so badly needs? Like, no. Okay. Come on, Ashley. Somehow you got to fucking get him. There's the got to be another on. contender. Come on. Yeah. Come on, come on Ashley. Get Ashley. out of it. And then oh, he just. Again, Ashley, I, he's doing the most at this point she has managed to get garrett to untie her and he's you know clipping through the christmas lights and he takes a second to tell her how truly sorry he is and he has to kiss her on the cheek which as it turns out for garrett is the kiss of death because Uh. there is nothing nothing that can get to luke except somebody kissing his girl he uh fires that shotgun from off screen and garrett goes flying into the next room onto the mom's new carpet um and this is like the only real time we get to see like genuine emotion from Luke is that he's like just so pissed. As, as you were saying, the, the one friend that he owns is like really screwed this up and is, is trying to get with his girl. And why did he make him do this? And he's screaming at the top of his lungs before he finally just blows Garrett's head off. Garrett's last line think, is that he wants his mom, which is real fucking rough. Yeah, I think you nailed it. This is one of the only times where it seems like even goes slightly against Luke's plans. Yeah. Like, I think that's the thing. It's like, even if you want to do the ending where he gets away with it all, like, fuck, he, there's no challenge in it. He has no point pushed like back against the wall and has to really scramble to get away with it. He faces no real setback, no real challenge. Like the whole fucking movie, like the biggest thing that almost goes wrong is a candy cane almost falling, but then not like, he well, actually like, almost does get away at the one point and yeah uh, other than stabbing ricky in the uh face ricky is getting the better of him in that fight until garrett shows up yeah, yeah. oh and, yeah and ricky absolutely would have beat him to shit <laughs> like yeah no question. Well, and and with i feel like there's a little bit of catharsis and seeing luke lose his veneer you know and it's hard too because like being it it does bring up that really really conflicted reaction to seeing like a 12 year old kid be a sociopath and then like try to figure out like well where is this gonna go now you know like do i really want to see this this 12 year old get impaled and you know i think it would have been fine if he did you know the voice crack yeah that voice crack that's that's where it really hits you that he is yeah he is the worst he is awful the voice crack reminds you that he is a kid but yeah he shuts it he shuts it down he absolutely like he turns this he turns off the humanity switch he's yeah. like he was getting annoying anyway like 
it's it's the it's he's he's receded he's he's killed that part of humanity in himself and he's gone back yeah. into full psycho mode well and he has but that's the thing is that he hasn't completely because it keeps coming out hmm. you know but it's not that it's not humanity so much as that it's just self-control for him because he's still sure he's showing some emotion and he's not controlling that emotion you know, he's not do, he's showing controlled fear or, you know, like a veneer of, of whatever. It is really, it is satisfying for me when I see these kind of characters in movies to lose their control because it shows that they're not necessarily monsters. They're still human, but they're that human monster. <laughs> um, yeah, and I, I think there's a question here as to like, as Ben said, you know, it seems like maybe that he's he's written it off as, a, as his broken toy or you know, whether like this is real emotion creeping through and Luke just decides that he has to shut it down to like yeah. get get through this. I mean, first he he snuggles up with Ashley and gives her this sort of sob story about how his mom stopped holding him at a certain point when he was younger. And, you know, why did she do that? What's what does that mean? Ashley says she knows why, but refuses to say anything else at this point, which is unclear if, you know, I, I guess Luke planned to kill her eventually anyway. But at this point, he goes ahead and, you know, stabs her through the throat and then sets about laying all of his, you know, uh, his loose ends so that mm-hmm. the cops can come in and see that this was Jeremy that did all of this and then committed suicide in the name of love, you know. With and, the help of the snowplow. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he does seem to tie it off and put the snowplow away afterwards, I, I think is what happens. Yeah, um, well, I think that the other thing about the uh, this all of this um resolution i guess i mean like you know the the loose ends that luke is trying to to tie up we do see the cracks and i feel like you know once another like another group of people actually looks at the situation it's going to be a lot clearer what happened because luke is not that ingenious yeah he might think he's ingenious and that's the thing about the about psychopaths is that they think that they're ingenious and normally it's because uh, he they're calls himself the Harry Houdini of getting away with things at one yeah. point. Yeah. And he's talking about like the time that I fucked up at school or whatever. Or, like I, we played hooky that one time or whatever. It's not like murder. Yeah. You know? Remember that time I stole that. He's yeah. Like, Look, did I steal that cookie out of that cookie jar? Yeah, I did. So clearly I know how to get us out of this double homicide situation. The reason I don't think when he's like yelling and his voice is cracking at Garrett, well, I don't even prescribe like him even that being like human emotion coming through is that that means best case scenario, his most human genuine emotion is still just him angrily blaming the person that he shot for making him shoot him like yeah. why'd you make me do be- that yeah, yeah. Like, best case scenario he does have human emotion and it just and it's still like monstrously abusive when it, you know he is monstrously abusive there's a certain point especially when we're talking about psychopathy and and the sociopathy yeah like it, it, there's a there's a difference between being a monster and being a deplorable human because like the thing about being a monster is that like it's unknowable Right. When we talk about monsters, there's something unknowable and horrible and dangerous and and there's nothing you can do about it with this kid. And I think with a lot of the the, and this is also, I think, a big thing, which is in true crime right now, is understanding these like understanding the, the villain of this story, not as a monster, but as a deplorable human. 
just a really shitty person. When when there's something yeah. that is hateable, it should be because they are not because they're unknowable, but just because they are they are shitty. They know it and they do it deliberately, and then try to make excuses like he does with like, oh, you know, you made me shoot you. No, or they don't care because yeah. to them all that really matters is them. Like yeah. everybody else, yeah. secondary. Nobody else has at least the level of humanity that they have. Maybe if there's an option between not harming somebody and harming somebody and, uh, you know, there's nothing to be gained from harming them, that maybe they won't, uh, which, you know, you might argue a psychopath would, but like from, from you know, a sociopath's point of view, like nobody else is really human. They're all background players to your story, which is the way he frames a lot of this. Absolutely. And I think that's also a, a, that that's the sort of breakdown of reality, because it's also seeing everything as a narrative where you're the protagonist. He's the protagonist. He he is entitled. You know, this story is about him. He's going to win no matter what. And, you know, he does some of the work for it. But he definitely, as we see in this last scene, you know, he starts putting everything together. But then he's like, oh, shit, I forgot that. Oh, shit, I forgot that. Oh, shit, I forgot that. And that's where, you know, like, okay, he's not he's he does not have this shit together. He's not a super villain. No, he's not a super. He's, you know, yeah, he's, he he's winging it. Super villain. Yeah, he's playing a part that he doesn't quite fully understand. He, so he, he sets everything up and he's, uh, you know, setting it up to look like he has been asleep the whole time. And he takes his sleeping medicine and turns on his little, you know, heartbeat machine and manages to put the pencil on the doorknob and has to sneak around to, you know, through his parents' room to come in through his room and almost gets caught by his parents almost knocks things off the roof but manages to you know ferris bueller his way into bed the parents come in and scream he wakes up to his mom holding him there in bed and um you know pay off to the line earlier about how his mom stopped holding him so like literally everything does oh, yeah. pay off in this yeah. movie. even that last bit of like oh i have to turn on the womb machine. yeah the, yeah that he heartbeat. was made fun of. His, yeah, his heartbeat machine. Yeah, and... Um, Fucking just watch few old Futurama episodes like a normal person. <laughs> and uh, then he, he hears the police say that they have a live one downstairs. And uh, as Ashley is being carted out on a stretcher, we hear that she has saved her life by putting the duct tape from her mouth over the wound, keeping her from bleeding to death. And she she throws him the middle finger as, he's, as she's put into the ambulance. Um, and we get a little like mid credit sequence of uh, Luke telling his mom that they need to go, that they should go visit Ashley at the the hospital. Um, but I, I don't think there's any real expectation that that's going to like pay off for him. Yeah, the, yeah. I mean, but there, somebody I, at the hospital, you have to go real Halloween too with it, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but that's the thing too is that you know there's also like watching this and knowing how privileged he is, I am wary. You know, sometimes like that's that's one thing that kind of harsh that buzz. I think for me is that, Seeing, you know, she's also like, a, he, you know, this is a 12 year old kid and how hard it's going to be to, especially the way he's so manipulative and, and looks so innocent. It's going to be a hard sell. This is going to have to be like, if there's a sequel to this movie, the legal it, drama, it, well, <laughs> yeah. either that, or it's like a vigilante thing, which That's like, exactly it. like this kid has is too brazen and has too much like privilege for this movie to give him even like, a crack even a sliver of like yeah he might still pull it all off he might like close like tie up every loose end and get away with it all is still just like god it's just an extra bit of anti-catharsis for this movie to give right at the very end where it's like i don't even get to definitively have 
Ashley survived and she knows and she's going to fucking reveal the truth. Like the movie, I know it's a horror movie and it can't always, and it always ends with like, oh, the monster isn't dead at all. But like, God, you couldn't even just let me go out on any kind of catharsis movie. Fuck. Yeah. I mean, what I I think. What's the kid's name? Uh, Ethan something, the affluenza kid. Like really uh-huh. hangs yeah. over the movie. That's oh, exactly yeah. it. That, that's exactly it. Yeah. Like, there look, Luke may be an extreme version of a lot of, of too many kids, but not extreme but not an extreme an exaggeration enough. Right. Yeah, yeah even best um, case scenario, what happens to him? Not yeah, much. Yeah, he's get, like, I mean this kid is never twelve time, you yeah. know? He's he's going to ultimately get away with it even if getting away with it means doing community service or mm-hmm. again yeah i want to see juvie after this is patrick warburton has moved has left the family moved to the city and they're like patrick warburton you're back you're in the gate you're single you're in the city what's up and he's just like uh wife was a bitch kid ended up being a serial killer you know how it goes it's a hallmark yeah. movie the christmas tie and that's yeah, it it's and all that's about all we get. Being a, a weird christmas yeah. tie guy Okay, so now, okay, that is the opener for the sequel, Better Not Cry, where he's he's moved out, fucking Lucas is 18, and he's not done shit since this, but then fucking Ashley comes after him, or there's some sort of like super rad uh, comeuppance that you feel like he's in charge of everything. And so, but the second that he loses control, that's when like all the push of that he's he's been exerting upon reality and upon the consequences come crashing down. Um, because he's crying. The third movie, the second movie is the. The romantic comedy with Patrick Warburton. And the third one is I'm Telling You Why. You know, which is, <laughs> oh, okay. Which is the, the one where, you know, ultimately, I think I think Patrick Warburton gets remarried in the second movie and Luke doesn't like that and has to, you know, goes after the the new. Oh, I like that. The new <gasps> yeah, that's solid. But the new solid. mom is also a killer. Yeah. So it's like this Luke versus it. stepmom. Oh, my Ooh. God. She's actually some and, oh Christmas being. So, yeah. <laughs> but Patrick Warburton's character is completely unaware. So it's yeah. them doing a secret spy versus spy, like Chris murder Peckover. movie, all trying to hide it from Patrick Warburton's character. Chris Peckover, yeah. take notes. You can use all of this. We give you permission. Yeah, that this is all yours. Us, I'm, I'm not. I wouldn't be surprised if this shit was like in production right now. We we know what height doorknobs are supposed to be at. Call us. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's. That's the end of the film. Wait, the way that Lucas dies is someone dressed up as Santa. Like, either accidentally kills him or, like, a vigilante vengeance killer or whatever that's out, or, you know, Ashley or something. She's, like, in a, she's, like, she kill or she kills him with the the glowing Santa Claus. Or the candy cane falls off the roof. Yeah. And she, like, grabs him. And it, like, impales him. Yeah. Or she, like, sharp, she, or she, like, grabs him. She's full Anna in the with apocalypse it. with the candy cane. <laughs> yeah, and like pulls him like onto stage instead of off stage, and then hits him with a Santa Claus. The the end. All right, guys. Let me ask you: uh, is, is better watch out feminist? I think, um, in a way, I mean, it is. It is showing. It is a very much about toxic masculinity and and mm-hmm. um white like specifically white male privilege. It is about that. 
Yeah, and how how it affects women. It could be clearer about that. There could be a lot more like deliberate messaging. But I think that it does show the negative starkly enough that we get an idea of the feminist positive. Now, let me. It's been interesting because this this has been stewing in my mind as we've been talking about it. I think this movie compares very directly to Get Out, which is like Get Out, and this both have a, a a monster who is social commentary in its own way. Yeah, and this it's you know male privilege or you know specifically white affluent male privilege but you know male privilege as far as it, it matters to ashley as the protagonist here but get out makes the different choice at the end get out says no we, we want him to survive we don't want him to you know run into the police here at the end because you know that 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 would be realistic to this issue that we're talking about but it would be a real fucking bummer leaving the theater. And this movie says, no, it's realistic that this kid gets away with it. And, you know, he's he's going to live to live to fucking manipulate another day uh, and, mm-hmm. you know, makes the opposite choice, which is which is a bummer at the end of this movie. But yeah. also, like, I think really drives home what the movie is about. Uh, yeah, it's, it's definitely anti-toxic masculinity. But it, where I'd hold back from saying it's feminist is because the mom is the other female character in the movie and she is a gross stereotype of moms yeah. like, she is like that's it's it's not enough for it to be just anti-toxic masculinity it's your other female character is is i mean she takes she's also toxic some of the inherent yeah. homophobia of the henpecked husband trope and explicitly throws that homophobia right at you yeah it's it's difficult yeah because I, I think like it is very much a a feminist horror movie in that you know what the movie is about but yeah i i think there's absolutely something to be said for the fact that the mom the mom is uh, exhibits toxic masculinity in her own way you know in in this in that open scene um in a, in a way that's pretty pretty rough yeah because it's definitely a, it's a choice like it's very much like they wanted the mom character to be this way and present this way in such a very like hard it's a hard hard you're not supposed to like the mom while you're supposed to like the dad because he's the, a little goofy patrick warburton so the, it's it's a weird choice banter we get when they walk in is like they were making fun of you the whole time it's like yeah but she that conversation where she right out says are you sure you've never sucked another man's cock? And like, That's right. they, she's having her own back and forth with this. Well, he does not seem to think it's funny at all. Like again, he is in a Hallmark Christmas comedy. She's fucking trying out for secession. <laughs> I think that leads kind of evenly into the queer content of which there is very little. In fact, it, it probably it's goes just back Virginia to Madsen being homophobic yeah that's it the only queer content in this movie is homophobia yeah yeah it's not not great not great on that front also uh very little in the way of any sort of racial diversity in this movie Hmm. um you know again it was cast in australia so yeah it does suburban chicago australian movie Mm. i do feel like the movie is better at playing or like hinting at or subtly weaving in uh certain class themes and commentary with luke's uh wealth certainly being an element of privilege and especially in his how part of his sociopathy manifests in the very classist uh sense of superiority he feels over uh ricky and jeremy yeah i mean i think jeremy is the closest thing that this movie has to any sort of like racial commentary which is he is he is clearly a uh, at least somewhat privileged white teen who is really, really banking on black culture 
is very much appropriating. Very much if we're going in the, uh, this is somehow riffing off like an 80s John Hughes. Oh, yeah. Totally oh fits. Totally yeah. fits. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yep, yep, yep. It's the call is coming from I inside think, the John Hughes film. I yeah. think the bad gaps that we're seeing in the movie, both in queer rap and in racial representation, can be chalked up to this being a horror spin on you know those movies of the 80s and 90s that did have these same issues because yeah like when we talked about virginia madsen's like homophobia yeah that, but that's that like could have been right out of a john hughes film as well that's cabin in yeah. the woods though like we're calling out the bad trope but also just doing the bad trope yeah 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 especially I mean, virginia madsen being homophobic like that what did that add to the movie i mean yeah, he did get know. to say metrosexual which, which i think we- we could have done without, which there was a way was to get there. Was it worth the without, setup for that? Yeah. 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 Like, I'm not saying it wasn't a bad punchline, but there had to have been a different, like, setup for it. Yeah, that's that's very, very true. Very valid. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the, the class stuff in this yeah. is really interesting. Again, yeah. Like, everything with, and again, I'm not exactly sure what the movie's trying to say, because the movie does seem to go into, especially, I mean, like, Ashley's like, what the fuck are you talking about, Ricky? But Ricky's whole character is like, Ashley, you're of a higher social standing class than I am. Therefore, your life has more worth. You get out while I die. Like, what yeah. the fuck? Yeah, both both of the dudes in this, as far as, you know, Ricky and, and Luke, seem very class aware, whereas Ashley doesn't for whatever reason. But, yeah, she's uh, harder to read. It's, I guess it's implied to, she's a little bit, it? like she babysits, she's starting college off it's semester, Pittsburgh like she's going. Christmas time. She's, yeah, she's, she's going, going to Pittsburgh. To Pittsburgh. So yeah. She's going to that far city off city wonderland of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Yeehaw. So she's maybe closer to like economic status to Garrett th- than to Luke. Like she's maybe Pittsburgh a little bit more working a, yeah. class. Pittsburgh is a lovely city. I just love the idea that Ashley's going off to the big city. Where is she off to? Pittsburgh. Um, and there's some great schools in Pittsburgh. Yeah. So the, the only thing we haven't really talked about is uh, mental health and mental illness in this movie, which... We've addressed sort of that we think that the that Luke reads as a sociopath. There's not a lot of in-depth discussion as to what that means or mm-hmm. anybody really trying to trying to school us on on what exactly all of that reads as. There's no, you know, FBI analysts in this trying to tell <laughs> us what he is. You know, I'm I'm hesitant to talk about psychopath villains in uh, in certain cases, I'm hesitant to put them into these non-neurotypical in that shroud, I guess, because like there's there are villains, there are evil villains, and then there are, um, you know, people who are disturbed and a sociopath. Certainly there's there's something going on with the noggin. Sure. But there's a difference there. And I think it's something that is still people are still trying to figure out. And it's another one of those gray area things. that's not very satisfying to to define in a movie like this, which, you know, is best left out, which is why we're glad that there's no profiler being like, oh, yeah, he's a level 10 psycho dramatic piece of shit or whatever. But um, I learned that from Law and Order. No, I didn't. Um, the Anyway, so the <laughs> he's just awful. I don't think he has any sort of, he's not neuro, he's not non-neurotypical. He's not like, I don't think that that's, that's going to be a mental illness thing. He's just, he's just an awful dude. Yeah. I mean, we do see him as, as somebody who doesn't seem to recognize the humanity or worth of other people, but you know, it's hard to, mm-hmm. hard to classify in, in a way that feels satisfying in any kind of way. Um, yeah. Now bringing that all together, 
would you guys recommend people check this movie out? With certain caveats, yes. That's going to be, uh, again, anime, acknowledging that there are elements of this movie that are very well done, uh, especially some of the acting performances, uh, I, I, I wouldn't. There's, there's a lot of Christmas horror movie. There are a lot of horror Christmas movies out there, and they won't make you just blindingly angry for days <laughs> later. What do you think, I, I'd, I'd recommend it if the per, if if you were into uh, like bottle episode horror during winter, because um, one location, very simple yeah. setup. I I think it's a movie that handles its twists very well. I think it's a pretty well made movie. Uh, I think it it it's good for a watch. Uh, like I said, like yeah. I watched it a couple years ago and I rewatched it for this. And like knowing where the twists and turns were coming, I was like, yeah, all right, I get it. I get it. Like, I think if, you, if you're going in cold, also, I think if you know the twist ahead of time, don't watch it. Like, there's no point. Like, just yeah. go in and watch it. Yeah, I, watch this, I admire this episode instead. I admire the way this movie is made. Uh, mm-hmm. I think, you know, Home Alone, for all of its uh, foibles, does the same thing where they set up a lot of things and pay off a lot of things. And this does all of that. It's Chekhov's everything. Like, it's all... All the things are set up. All of them pay off. It's all, and none of it ever feels like we talked about when we watched Don't Breathe, where it's like, and here's a long pan in on the hammer for no reason, obviously. Nobody's going to get hit with this later. But like, it, it sets up everything well and, and pays off well. And it is a it is a hard watch in a lot of ways. But I think that ultimately, like the mo- the movie knows, like the people making it know mm-hmm. who the villain is and what they're doing and and how it how it's supposed to be read. It is not necessarily a movie that you're going to come away with like fist pumping at the end. But like, yeah, know, it's like uh, the, the commentary of it is just so interesting to me uh, in a movie that could have very much been. What if Home Alone was a horror movie? Uh, but you know that it seems so so much in conversation with those movies as like oh no these kind of kids are bad like mm-hmm. these are the like ferris bueller is a psychopath he doesn't care about what a, ha- what happens to other people and you know does all these horrible things without considering the consequence just so he can get away with it just so he can have a day off yeah and i yeah. think a lot of the credit has to go to the director because from what i understand the original script was just like what if home alone was a horror movie um and they gave it to him and he's like yeah, this is an interesting premise, but you don't really do enough with it. And so he rewrote it, like gave it more, gave it the twists and turns and uh, made it into what it is. So he gets a lot of good credit. Like, I, I, I'm curious to see how bad the original script was. Yeah. In terms of it, I heard it described as it was Home Alone and Saw. So I'm like, well, that doesn't sound. Yeah, it's a, it, it depends. But the, I mean, it's hard. Like, I to the to the credit and perhaps you know to speak to our various levels of dissatisfaction you know it's really hard to to sell a movie with a 12 year old this evil you know even the good son was just kind of like i mean it's hard because it was macaulay culkin but like also and and, um i think it was macaulay culkin versus versus elijah wood yes or whatever absolutely but yeah, like you're still like, but it's a little boy. Yeah. And then and, and so especially Macaulay Culkin dying though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't yeah, fucking yeah, yeah, gets yeah. his at the end. 
<laughs> yeah and then that's and it's weird too because like you I, I feel like there may have been a different ending to this movie but then the studio was like no we can't have you explode a 12 year old it's this cute see i don't think there was ever another ending to this movie i think yeah like, yeah if, if anything maybe that yeah. bump at the but, end is added but like you know i i think the tone of this movie is such that he gets away with it like i guess yeah. I, I also don't like the bump just because i think that slow pan out it feels a little hitchcocky um but just like it just feels like a good moment where you're in the character's head and just seeing like this character that we know is just so evil and we're just seeing him stew and we pan out with like the mystery of like what will this just evil evil human being do next like that we know can't abide any setback what will he do with like the pot with like this last setback that he can't yeah. do anything about right now and yeah. then i don't know even giving you that last thing or like feels like it takes away a little bit from the power of that second to last shot yeah, yeah. i don't agree with that yeah that's that's a good call uh well given all of that uh do we have any recommendations for people to uh to check out after this michael do you have anything you would uh recommend people check out yeah, I'd go, like cl- I'd have two. So classic would be Black Christmas, very much mm-hmm. like bottle episode holiday horror. Uh, the other would be um, Summer of '84. Uh, I don't know if you guys have talked about that one, but um, we haven't, we haven't. heard about it. Oh, it's it's really good. It's one of the few horror movies where at the end I actively wanted a sequel, as uh, it sets up what the sequel should be, and you could set it ten years from then, twenty years from then. like it's a really good of that '80s slasher kind of throwback movie. I nice. think it's it's a lot of fun. I, I think it really holds up. I love the throwback kind of stuff mm-hmm. so yeah. much. Uh, Emily, what would you recommend for for people? Well, I have some weird recommendations um, that sort of pick up on various elements of this movie. Um, so, if you want the movie that the the parents are in, but also involves being tied up in a hostage situation and possible life threatening stuff, there's the ref which stars Dennis Leary and some others. It's kind of a very like 80 or not 80s. It's very like 90s edgy. I mean, it's Dennis Leary being like, hey, I'm Dennis Leary and I've got a leather jacket on and I'm going to tell you guys what's what. So being um, Dennis Leary. So yeah, he essentially plays himself and, and yells at this couple to get organized, straighten their shit out. And then they get a new lease on life. It's very cute. Um, sort of. Not really. it, It's it's kind of tongue-in-cheek 90s cute but um it does all fe- also-, also feature one kevin spacey just yeah know, to warn people yeah yeah thank you um and then there's ready or not which is the uh the, the ending that um ashley should have gotten mm-hmm. um but if you want to see ashley you know or this the ashley analog kick the ass of this affluent family including this and see you know maybe not on screen child exploding but certainly uh, you know there's some there is a there's an exploding child um in that one and you can also listen to our episode about that one we have talked well i don't know if i talked i was on there that one but um either way y'all have talked about it is very good and lastly um we need to talk about kevin is the serious version of this movie which is about this kid essentially the kid from this movie but about his, the the effects of his atrocities, and it's a 
fantastic movie very hard to watch um and you know and it wasn't until i watched this and thought about the, the we need to talk about kevin and then suddenly realized that you have kevin McAllister. And now do we need to talk about Kevin McAllister? But yeah, we need to talk about Kevin. It's a British movie. It was uh, Tilda Swinton and John C. Riley. takes place in America. So it's, it's um, you know, supposed to be in America. And it is um, about a very upsetting situation with a kid played by Ezra, Ezra Miller, who is just not, not a good, not a good. All right, Ben, what have you got? Well, I'm going to keep my uh, recommendation short. Uh, you know, we talked a lot about Home Alone uh, in this, but if you enjoyed uh, Better Watch Out, then I'm going to specifically recommend Home Alone 3, because I guess you're just a person who doesn't like movies that are satisfying to watch. Starring Scarlett Johansson. Um, what? That's right. Oh, my God. Yes. Scarlett Johansson is the older sister in, in Home Alone 3. Oh, yes. shit. The yes. shitty older sister. Yes. I forgot about that. Holy fuck. <laughs> Uh, so my recommendation would be something that we're actually going to talk about in a couple of weeks. So I'm just going to drop it here and not talk about it, which is Your Next, which has some similarities to this movie, but I can't really talk about them. Otherwise, I'd be spoiling it and we're going to talk about it in a couple of weeks. Uh, so instead, I'm going to recommend uh, something I stumbled across today, which is A World of Calm, which is a series on uh, HBO Max, if you go watch on there, which has a series of... Um, basically like slow almost slow tv type documentaries of like shots of like nature and space and things like that and uh, the the, mo- the episode i particularly watched was called living among the trees uh which has a series of like documentary style stories about like one guy is like making a canoe out of a single tree and there's a lot of other things about like just being in nature uh and that episode is all narrated by keanu reeves doing basic slow scratchy john wick which is like i was watching this and i was like man i just feel so relaxed and interested in this fucking canoe right now like (laughs) (laughs) i'm so into this story about a canoe i are you sure this wasn't on the calm app no this is this is all on uh home box office maximum um and uh you know there's he narrates this one there's another one about space that's uh narrated by Idris Elba and there's just a series of like actor with great voice and calming subject and I was like all right I think this is going to be something I come back to because yeah the the Keanu one was the only one I've watched so far and that was great so if you're coming off of a movie like better watch out and you need something to chill out the rage boy like inside you uh go listen to Keanu talk about wood for a while that sounds Uh, great yeah uh that episode's very enjoyable uh now we, with all that said all right so uh with all that uh let's go ahead and wrap this up michael can you let people know where they can find you online and find out about the projects you're working on yeah you can follow me on twitter where i am mike is ernie at twitter.com that's that's how twitter works also you can visit me on my website by uh please check out my comic book orcs in space available in your local comic book store and also i have a podcast called burn after pitching it's a comedy pitching podcast where we have panel creators on to pitch their ideas on anything from ice cream flavors to spin-off characters of popular film franchises burn after pitching we can we can talk about better not cry on there yes oh we'll tell you cozy why. holiday horror yeah our, our various pitches for sequels to better watch yes out. yeah 
Uh, all right. And uh, Emily, where can people find you online? Um, I'm Megamoth on Twitter.com. And I am uh, also Megamoth on Tumblr.com, should you want to subject yourself to that. Um, and then on Patreon.com, I'm also Megamoth. You know, you sign up. I have a $1 tier. See my art and help me get more charging devices for my uh, my phone and, and computer so I don't <laughs> run out of batteries in the middle of the show. Um, yeah, and then I'm on megamoth.net on the internet. Um, and I think that's the important ones. Oh yeah, mega underscore moth on Instagram. That's a, That one has like art and stuff on it too. Yeah, and Ben, what about you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at BenTheCon. Uh, hit me up on BenOnComics.com. Uh, you can get the graphic novel tie-in to Ubisoft's Immortal Phoenix Rising out in stores now. Uh, Renegade Rule also out from Dark Horse and keep an eye out for Jefferson Starship uh, Blows Against the Empire. Uh, It's a new graphic novel from Z2 that uh, will be available for pre-order now. That's awesome. Nice. Fantastic. That's so awesome. (laughs) And as for me, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58. It's jeremywhitley.com. See all my work on there. Uh, you can pre-order the second book, School for Extraterrestrial Girls, right now. Uh, you can also you know, find all my stuff available for sale online. It's great. Go buy it all. Uh, as for the podcast. Or at your local store. Yes, at your local store. Uh, as for the podcast, you can uh, help support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash progressively horrified. For just $5 a month, you can get uh, every episode a week early. And you can also get... Uh, extra episodes when we do things like talk about the fast and the furious films uh, which we're going to be getting back to uh we're also on twitter at prog horror pod and you can find our website for all of our show notes at progressively horrified.transistor.fm uh you can also you know please be sure wherever you're listening to the podcast to subscribe rate and review uh that helps new listeners find us and helps us uh keep going uh in the meantime thank you so much for everybody for joining us tonight michael it was great to have you Thank yeah, you it was good to see you, Mike. Yeah, thank, oh my you God. So thank you so much for uh, coming on. Yeah, and thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. Please be sure to come back and join us next week because our friends, Katie Cook and Andy Price, are coming on to talk about the nightmare before Christmas. So we will see you then. And until next yes. time, stay horrified. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy Whitley, Emily Martin, Ben Kahn, and Michael Tanner. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own, not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06, and was provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Support us on Patreon or contact us on Twitter at Pod or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com.